Welcome to the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by Jessica Ocampo. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, Derek. Thank you so much for having me today. All right. Well, I'm excited about our conversation. I want all of the podcast listeners to know who you are and a little bit about your background. Jessica Ocampo is an attorney who is passionate about civil rights and its various complex facets that are intertwined in both corporate and public sectors of the law. She's resilient on both sides of the legal spectrum, focused on progressing and positively influencing the diversity and inclusion needle. She is the board director for the Young Lawyers Division in the Hispanic Lawyers Association of Illinois. Jessica is the Assistant Attorney General in the Worker Compensation Bureau in the Illinois Attorney General's Office. Jessica, tell me, what inspired you to become an attorney? Sure. Again, thank you so much for having me. And I know that was all a, a mouthful of a time. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. So um, there, you know, one thing in particular that really inspired me to become an attorney as, um, as my uh, title precedes me as I'm, I'm Latina. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm first generation uh, Latina, first generation to graduate high school, college, and now uh, a, a practicing attorney. So what really inspired me to be a lawyer was just seeing the inequities, seeing the injustices that I grew up with, uh, having a father from, from Mexico, a mother from Argentina, um, and living in, we, we lived in California at the time, and just seeing the, the injustices that we saw by police officers who would just happen to stop my dad because he was driving a nice car and happened to be brown. Um, and, and just seeing the, hearing the stories that my family had told me. And I said, you know, I, I need to, to do something to, to be the, the voice that our community so desperately needs, um, to be the voice that others who do, you know, do not know that they have and just empower them to again, have that voice, um, and use me to be that voice in certain instances. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt that the best way to do that was to become an attorney, uh, and fast forward a few years, here I am. I love it. I love it. You know, I think there's something about that pain or disappointment in people's journeys that has the, uh, the power if we harness it, that pain or that sense of uh, wrong that has taken place earlier in our journeys, if we harness it the right way, then it can lead to a powerful, um, I think a powerful path. And I think about that with your, your story. Your story illustrates just that, where that disappointment that you experienced or you saw in your family or that you heard about didn't you know corrupt you to you know you know wanted to choose an alternative path but really empowered you to go you know what i want to be a part of the positive change um in, in this space absolutely absolutely and it's funny that you say that that you know i didn't choose a corrupt path well let me tell you even though my parents did not have the education that was one thing that they did not allow me to have i grew up in a very strict household um, and, you know, growing up, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I couldn't go, you know, to sleepovers. I couldn't mm -hmm. go out with friends. I couldn't do any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but now as an adult, uh, I, I, really, I really appreciate 
what they did for me because had they not, I, I, I may not have, I may not be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, again, it, like you said, it's just something so, so powerful to really harness and, and, and to, to really grow into fruition how, how it is uh, today. Um, but again, it's just something that it was never a, 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 not an option. Um, my parents always inspired me and, and allowed me to, and pushed me to dream big uh, and that no dream was unattainable. Um, now I may have a lot of student loan debt because of it, but um, you know, I it, it's still been a, a great path for me to, for me to do. And I know I went into it for the right reasons, mm-hmm. uh, and that is why I think I'm just so happy with with what I do. Yes, yes, I love hearing about your family uh, being these great believers in you all along the way. And let me ask you about this detail that that's um, when you think about your journey, whether it was getting into law school, um, graduating law school or passing the bar, was there, was there a, a specific way your family responded that you like think back on and, and it's especially meaningful for how they responded to any of those, one of those three moments? Well, uh, I'm not going to say, Meaningful is is not how I would characterize it. I would say difficult. I, I think because of how how they responded to me. So, uh, and I'll explain. I'm I'm an only child. I'm an only grandchild, which is obviously not common in a Latino uh, household. Um, but because of the all of the attention and all of the focus being on me, um, my parents were just very. Uh, very, uh, I don't want to say attached either, but just they, they love me a lot, a lot. And they just wanted the best for me and did not want me to ever leave the nest. Uh, and so when I left home to go to Arizona for undergrad, that was, that was difficult in and of itself. Mm. My parents did not want me to leave. Mm-hmm. And so as it's very common in our culture, um, you know, while they may have the best intent behind it because they want to tell you how much they love you it's almost like it's they, they're guilting you mm. into not leaving the nest and pursuing your dreams even though you know that it would be the best thing for you to do mm-hmm. and that is what the first thing that I experienced when I left home to go to uh, Arizona State for undergrad even though I was six hours away it was just you know that the fact that I was leaving the home was was something that was not taken too well Mm-hmm. And they eventually got over it and, and they <laughs> stood and, and, and they pushed me. Uh, but then the same situation happened when I had to go to law school. So for law school, I ended up coming to Chicago mm-hmm. all the way from, Cal- you know, originally from California. And that was just, it, it was, it was too much. And um, again, it was, an, it was very difficult at first, uh, but, you know, again, they got over it. <laughs> <laughs> My mom is... Uh, super, super supportive um, because I, I had a couple of options as to where I, I, I could have gone back to California. Mm. Um, my fiance is from Chicago. We met in Arizona, which is a reason that prompted me to move mm. to Chicago. Mm-hmm. But in doing my research, I saw that there was a huge Latino population here and not enough representation uh, as, a, as a lawyer or in law ed- for lawyers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the numbers are atrocious overall, only 2% of all lawyers are Latinas to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I figured, 
you know, California, Arizona, I speak Spanish. There's, there's, there's more Spanish speaking attorneys over there. Um, you know, let me, let me move to somewhere else where I feel like there is a need uh, and, and, and a need for, for, for me to be there. Mm-hmm. And it has been one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Wow. I think there's, there's, there's some great power in that because of, you know, some of that nature to want to make other people happy, right? Like into whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And I'll, I'll, I'll bend over backwards for somebody else, you know, and, and, and not even saying that's wrong, right? Like there's, there's something to be said about um, doing about pleasing somebody else. There's a good side of that. Of course, there's a side of that where it gets too much. But I think it, I think it's especially noteworthy when you um, talk about um, the, the resistance. I think people can relate to that, where, where sometimes people that even love you the most in the world um, want something other than what we might call a calling that was on your life. Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I can't speak uh, uh, to other cultures, but I just know that it's something very unique uh, and prevalent in our culture that it's just, it, it can be a little bit overwhelming because yes, on the one hand, you, you, these are the people that raised you. These are the people that gave you everything and you want to do the same in return. Um, but at what point do you need to set your own boundaries? Because now you're living your life and you, and, and you know, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old. Like I, I, and even before this, I, I, I grew matured at a young age. Like I know the the things that I need to do in order to progress myself I I can't be depending on mom and dad for the rest of my life right Mm -hmm. and if this is something that you know the opportunity is calling uh, I need to go and 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 this is something that um you know at at, I went to John Marshall Law School here in Chicago and I was very active in the uh, Latinx Law Student Association and every uh, first, every one um, L like uh, fall year, we had a a dinner. Um, I, I think once because of the pandemic, it ended up being uh, virtual. But mm-hmm. uh, when I went, we had a dinner with where where the professors, the 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 professors that led the organization, advising professors. That's what they were called. Mm-hmm. They um, had a dinner at their house with all of the first year students and anybody that was on the board. And they invited uh, parents, significant others, um, anybody that was going to be around in their lives to for any kind of support system that they may have to understand, hey, law school is going to be some of the most demanding, uh, one of the most demanding parts of their lives. This mm. is what they're going to expect. They may not be able to go to that quinceanera. They may mm. not be able to go to Abuela's uh, Sunday dinner. Uh, <laughs> and they may not be able to answer your call every single time that you call. Wow. But it's because they are focusing on their future. Um, it's because they're buried deep in books. And this is just something that you're going to have to accept. Uh, and, and I think it was very helpful for, for the parents to attend Wow. Uh, and others to attend that dinner. That's such a powerful concept, I think, to to grasp 
because of expectations that people place on us, again, especially like in Latinx culture, um, that again, I'm aware of where family functions seem seemingly are every weekend, you know, it's another cousin's birthday or, you yes. know, Mother's Day or grandparents, you know, and then there's like new invented holidays, you know, yes. and then, um, Absolutely. But, uh, but I think, you know, having that, I mean, I'm, I'm just visualizing the power of that event and anybody really like, you know, anybody who wants something in life, I, I love the, the concept of the, uh, Napoleon Hill and thinking where Rich, he talks about this idea that whatever you want in life, you have to list out what you will sacrifice to get it. Cause there's no such thing as, as getting what you want without sacrificing something else along the way. Absolutely. And, uh, and what you're saying, I think speaks to that. And I almost think having that kind of dinner before <laughs> any great per, uh, any, any great pursuit Mm-hmm. might be something that's helpful because again, I, I, I've known it. I remember um, er, er, this year, you know, it, it, becoming an author, it was like, what am I willing to sacrifice for this dream? And I had, and I listed out and I, and I, and I, I got off. So whatever social media, I think it was like whatever, a hundred days or something like that, just to, so that I can go from where I was to where I wanted to be. I wanted to be an author, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, I'm saying, I'm saying that because I just relate 100% to, listing what you will sacrifice and i think that the listeners could get as well list what you will sacrifice to get what you want because there will be a sacrifice yes there absolutely will and you're you may not like it at first the people around you are not going to like it Mm -hmm. but once you see that you are accomplishing your goals once your community sees it um they they'll 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 be just fine and they'll Mm -hmm. continue to support you but setting those setting those boundaries is absolutely key for any type of success Mm, yes absolutely right i love it i love it what do you enjoy most about being an attorney well you know uh, aside from my day job, so as you as you explained earlier, I'm I'm an assistant attorney general in the Illinois Attorney General's office. I love working for the government. Um, you know, there I I can't speak to different kind of entities. I mean, because we have the state's attorney's office, the public defenders, um, even the city uh, city of Chicago uh, law department. Um, but when because I work for the state. Um, there's just not as much bureaucratic um, issues that you need to go through. I mean, if there's a change in administration, that doesn't necessarily mean that your job is at stake. Um, so, I mean, the stability and all of that is, is really great. And um, the people that I work with, it's a very nurturing and just collaborative environment, supportive environment. It's really great. But aside from that, what I really enjoy about being an attorney is what I do after work, my mm. leadership positions, my community engagement, my community involvement. Uh, so as board director of the Young Lawyers Division of the Hispanic Lawyers Association of Illinois, I really enjoy uh, mentoring students. Uh, I enjoy law students and undergrad students. I enjoy helping others build their network, um, networking, meeting new people, um, mm-hmm. inspiring others to, to, to be the best that they can be uh, in this field and professionally, personally. So it's just all of that kind of community engagement is really what uh, motivates me and what I love most about being an attorney. Um, mm. Showing that 
other people who who are part of my community or you know other minority communities um they they too can can be an attorney even mm -hmm. if they did not have a lawyer in their family yes the reason i love what you're saying there is because i'm hearing somebody when i speak to attorneys and the authority people give to you automatically right you find i mean there is there's something to be said about when somebody find you, you you could speak more to this on the in the on the as an insider of this i mean i'm gonna speak to you from the outside perspective sure. when, you know when, when when you find out that people are attorneys there's an element of respect there's an element of all there's an all, all of this is taking place behind the scenes you're you're very much put on a pedestal there's prestige in your career and then but and into again i'm going to use the word harness again but to understand that and harness that authority harness that power to use it as you're describing in the community to make an impact to make a difference i think that's a it's a beautiful concept and i'm glad you're using the authority and it's it's such power because there, there's there's a, a various types of authority, right? I mean, there's authority in wearing a, in a suit and tie, but <laughs> but but the idea as an attorney is an entire state has has um, given you their authority, saying you have authority over the entire state, or and sometimes over an entire country, depending on your arena of law. Um, but but I think you have so much authority, and I'm and I'm and I'm overjoyed to hear about you using your authority to make a positive difference. Yeah, thank you, thank you, and and that's actually exactly what it is. So um, I represent various state agencies in their workers' compensation claims. Um, our client is technically this all of the people of Illinois. So yeah, you know I, I represent the state, and I I try to look out for the state's best interests. And normally. You know, I, I can't speak for any other bureaus, which is why I had earlier uh, prefaced it with, you know, state's attorney, like prosecutors, mm -hmm. defenders, all things like that. They're, they work on a county and even city level. And there's just a lot of bureaucratic elements um, that uh, attorneys need to, to go through, um, you know, good or bad. It's just the nature of the job. Um, thankfully, with with where I work, I have a lot of discretion um, to do things in an empathetic uh, sympathetic type of way. Um, now, when it comes to, you know, settling and things like that and getting some kind of financial authority, I do have to go through someone else. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm limited. But as far as making the the day to day, the, the strategic um, decisions, uh, I, I really do. I am really happy in knowing that, you know, not just me, but everybody else in my bureau, our motto is do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So I find peace in knowing that at least in our bureau, you don't have these attorneys who all they're all they're doing is focused on, you know, uh, cutting injured workers from their benefits, um, you know, def uh, doing whatever they can to have the state come out of top and stiff the worker. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's definitely not what we do. What we do is, you know, we we're, a lot of the time we actually end up um, arguing with, with our client, like, Hey, no, we shouldn't do this. You should look at it this way. Well, you know, this is not something that's going to hold weight in court or, you know, mm -hmm. this injury is like this. So, um, I really, I'm really happy in knowing that we bring that kind of, um, element to what we do. And we're not just these, you know, bad government, you know, 
attorneys, we actually do work for the people and for these workers' best interests as well. Mm, that's reassuring. And I think that's uh, encouraging to hear about um, doing the right thing. And that's the culture that you work in. Um, I love that your authority is being used for that, the, a purpose grounded and rooted in integrity. Absolutely. Absolutely. How did you decide to focus on workers' compensation and being a government attorney? So that's actually a really funny story because uh, growing up, again, because of all of the injustices that I saw, I wanted to be either a prosecutor or a defense attorney. Mm -hmm. um, I just felt that uh, especially minorities uh, just happen to need the most help in those kinds of areas um, because, you know, everything that you hear about prosecutors and, and things like that. And it's just, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a good prosecutor. I wanted to be somebody that, you know, if, if there was uh, another Latino or somebody else of color, you know, they would be happy knowing that, Hey, there, there is a, a Latina that, you know, maybe she might look out for my best interests. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got into law school. Oh, and let me backtrack. So before, before going into law school, I was a paralegal for four years. So I, I took a four year gap year. Um, and, you know, reason for that, I did not come from money. So I had to find a way to to pay and, and get through law school. But mm -hmm. um, so I was a workers' compensation paralegal uh, during that time for two, two of those years. And I actually really enjoyed the work. I really, really liked it. And so I said, okay, one, once I got to law school, I said, all right, well, you know, maybe I want to do workers' comp. Let me see, let me, let me try being a prosecutor. Let me try going to the PD's office and intern there and see if I like it. I did. I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. And reason being is just, as I'm sure you can gather just from talking to me and, and my passions, I just felt that I would become too emotionally invested in these people's well-beings. And I would probably take it home with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some things that probably wouldn't sit right. Uh, I just, I felt like I, I just couldn't do it. And so uh, it's funny because this, it was actually the first summer right after my first year of law school, I had two internships. I had one at the public defender's office and then another one at the, at the state's attorney's office, but in the labor and employment division. So um, there actually ended up being a conflict of interest. Like you can't work, you can't work in both the public defenders or the state's attorney's office because it could happen where a PD might file a lawsuit uh, alleging employment discrimination and then the state's attorney's office would represent that entity. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, that actually ended up happening while I was working there. Mm. So I dropped the PD's office. I only was there for a day, hated it, <laughs> dropped that one. And then I stayed with the uh, labor and employment uh, division of the of the state's attorney's office. And then that just further cultivated my, uh, my passion for workers' rights. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, worked did different positions in law school. And uh, when I interviewed for the attorney, my first attorney position, uh, I actually wasn't interviewing for any bureau, uh, but they saw the workers' compensation experience that I did have. And they asked me if I was interested, if I would be interested in in being in the workers' compensation bureau. And I said, sure, I, I love it. And, and they laughed because they said, not a lot of people do mm -hmm. like it. So, and that's, and then that's just where I've been. 
Yes. You know, as I'm listening to you, I think one thread that that might be part of your theme um, is uh, boundaries, right? You talked about earlier, right, with your family. So boundaries um, with knowing hey, where where their preference ends and where your decision has to begin. Absolutely. And then, and then um, this other component you talked about, like the emotional component of taking certain cases home with you, like the the emotional boundaries in what you do. So that what you do professionally isn't coloring every part of your personal life. And I, I think the awareness of that, I think there's wisdom and insight there. So because I think anybody can relate to is whatever you're doing on, on an ongoing basis, how is that influencing everything else? Is it a, a is it uplifting everything else or is it creating, another, you know, maybe darkening everything else and you have to make this change. But I think there's great wisdom in and being aware of where to, to place those emotional boundaries. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and I'm, I'm like that you actually pointed that out because I feel that uh, with all of these new attorneys, my, this new generation of attorneys that, that are really setting those boundaries are really progressing this profession because um, as I'm sure you know, lawyers have some of the most, some of the highest statistics of uh, alcohol abuse, uh, just different kinds of negative things that that affect us, um, and it's I think it's specifically because of those reasons. Mm -hmm. We just we we don't draw those boundaries. We work mm -hmm. ourselves to death, um, and it's just not a sustainable practice. And so I really think that it's our generation that is really taking control over the things that make them happy. Um, you know, setting those boundaries, sticking to them, and then just really, again, evolving this career that is in a way that is so desperately needed. Mm, yes. I want to highlight what you said, sustainable practice. For our podcast listeners, think about what you do on a regular basis. And sometimes we caught into some of these habits that are not helping us with the long term. They might help us with the short term. Again, sometimes sometimes that's as simple, simplistic as you know, fast food. It might serve us with the short term. It's easy. It's convenient. But for the long term, like sustainable practices, I think that that concept works in a variety of areas of life as well. And I think that's uh, it's uh, it's meaningful to 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 note. Absolutely. What has been one challenge you faced as an attorney and that you have overcome? Yes. Yeah, so um, just right off the bat, the, and it's, it's something that I have experienced definitely more than once uh, is just being a young woman attorney in a field that is heavily white male dominated. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the field in itself is, uh, but especially in workers' compensation, there you're just you have attorneys that have just been doing this for their for thirty plus years, um, and they see a new face and they see a young face and they think that you know I can just run over them and just be rude and things like that. And I've I've had already a couple of times where attorneys have said, you know, how old are you? I've been doing this for longer than you've been born. I've been doing this for 30 years. You don't know what you're doing. And, mm. you know, it, it just finding a way to maintain professionalism, be still be courteous and basically telling these attorneys that, you know, thanks. You know, I, I actually did tell one, one time I did tell this attorney, thank you for your service to the profession for him when he told me mm. that he had been doing this for 30 years. Um, and I just said, you know, 
that doesn't mean that I know I'm, I'm that doesn't mean that I'm not right. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and a lot of the times, I mean, because we're, we're, we're learning this so early or in present day, I mean, there's a lot of things that have changed that maybe mm-hmm. older attorneys may not be privy to that or, or, mm-hmm. or really aware of that because they're so stuck in doing things in their own way. Right. Um, so, so yeah, a couple of times I've, I've had attorneys uh, ask me that. And one attorney in particular, once he saw that, you know, I still, I knew my stuff, that I was still a, a very responsive attorney, that I was on top of my case, uh, he ended up based, he, he ended up uh, sending a note to my chief saying that I'm, I'm one of the most amazing people that he ever worked mm. with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, I, it, that was really nice to, to overcome it in that way, because yes. there's one thing you, def, you definitely don't want to be combative, even though if somebody mm-hmm. comes at you in that way, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's not professional. And at the end of the day, we still have to maintain our composure and be professional. Even if somebody is berating us in that matter and challenging us, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it, when they go low, we go high, like, like Obama had said. And, and so mm-hmm. it's just um, something that you just have to have to continue that, that you, you, you continue to, to work with and, um, it was just nice to see how how that ended up working out. Yes, um, I love that. I love the concept, um, you know, and even as you were explained that, you know, the, the Obama quote, the, you know, when they go low, we go high. Like this, this idea, I, I, the, the visual I, I was get, getting, even before you mentioned that quote, was there's what I've heard a number of times from um, women attorneys or Latina attorneys even is, having to go through this challenge of condescending treatment. And so because in any, in any, in any interaction, we can have moments where people are looking up to us, they're respecting us, they admire us, they show love and that's encouraging or, or maybe even a peer where, hey, we're we're both peers, we're both professionals, or they can look at us um, or they can look at them where they're looking down. Like you're not um, experienced enough or you're not mature enough or you, or you don't, you know, look or behave like the rest of us. Um, but I, I, I love the story of persevering with the high treatment, as you mentioned, the gratitude even in that moment, as opposed to um, any other um, road, whether that's uh, not even just, you know, ignoring, but even going the other route of I'm going to express gratitude in this moment and not allow the low treatment to, to bring you low as well. Absolutely. And I, and, it, and it's hard, especially because it, you know, all the work that you have done to get to where you are and to, for somebody to discredit you just because you're younger. Um, I mean, it's something that, that really is, is something that we deal with. And I, I know I, I keep on talking about our Latinx community. It's just something that I know that we deal with um, with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. We already are dealing with that while we're in law school and you know it, it just continues while we're while we're an attorney and to get those kinds of comments from your peers, um, you know it's it, it can be it can be hurtful. Uh, it, it, it can it, it can it, it's just not constructive and um, but I'm thankful that I have mentors that have uh, really helped me, uh, see things in that matter mm-hmm. in that way 
Um, Because if not, then, you know, it's, I think it's just easy to become defensive, but it's just, it's just not something, it's not worth it. It's Mm. not going to get you anywhere. Um, And the best way to, to really deal with it is just continuing to be who you are, continuing to do the skills that, that you know you can do and prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to also mention something you, you talked about earlier as well, like this, this idea that, um, again, a, in, a, in a profession and industry that's dominated by white males. And then, um, and it's something that I, I, I've, been, I've been actually uh, putting together this, this, um, this, this, this post, you know, and, and, I, and what I've seen is, um, and it, it, it's this idea of still like even in your industry, the power of having allies and having mentors that are white male, although some, as you mentioned, will yeah. be disrespectful and condescending, but still there's still great power in finding some that will be allies and mentors that you can learn from. Because if it's a white male dominated field, then learning how they are they have succeeded and have um, been victorious in this arena. I think it's pivotal. And I, and, and I, I, it was literally, I was thinking that the post was going um, like Latina, Latina attorneys find white men attorneys to learn from. I know that's how it's weird. It's a, it's a weird post, but I think it's, it's a relevant needed message. What do you think about the concept? So it's funny that you say that because I, I don't think that I have ever heard that. I've never heard that because I have always just thought that it would be best for me to have Latino, Latina, Latinx, uh, Latinx uh, mentors that have been in this field for a lot longer than me so that I could, I could understand the adversities that they went through Mm -hmm. so that I could respond similarly, similarly. Yes. Because you know, let's be real, like white male attorneys more than likely did not have to experience those Mm -hmm. kinds of adversities. And those things still exist today. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's just best to to learn how the trailblazers before me dealt with it so that I can continue in their greatness. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually do have a white male uh, mentor that, and that's, that's probably the reason why I ended up doing workers comp because he was my boss at the workers comp firm that I worked in before law school. And I just learned so much from him. And he like, to this day, I mean, I worked there 2013 and 2015. So to this day, we still communicate. Um, I see, he sees me like a little sister um, and we just have a very, very good relationship. And he was probably the first attorney, really, I'm thinking about it, um, that had that first attorney really that I ever met and that had that influence on me mm-hmm. and motivated me and inspired me to be the best that I could be. Yes. So, you know, I did have one of those um, mm-hmm. and it was and it was great. Uh, but as I as I went through my law school career, I definitely looked for the, the minority mm-hmm. attorneys. Um, because again, it's, especially living here in Chicago, I, I, I did not, I had heard the stories of how segregated the city is, how, how, how prejudiced and racist the city could be. Um, but I, I, I just, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. And then I got here and I mean, it's, it, it's real. I mean, the, the, the there are, there, it, there are, there's like voluntary and 
also through red line segregation in the city. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just all of the, the distrust that there, there is an authority. There, there, I mean, there's just so much that we could talk hours and hours about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just felt, especially here in this city, I think it was very important for me to find somebody of color, especially yes. uh, a Latinx, um, especially Latina attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have had a few of those and they are, they continue to be my mentors. Yes. Uh, and I'm very, very thankful for them as well. I love it. I, I love that all the way across. And I think that's, that, 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 I think that's, I think you capture multiple mentors, you capture the Latinx, um, Latina mentors, and then you even capture the white male mentors. And um, I think that, that notion, even I, I reflected on my own journey and I was like, in, in, and I put that post kind of like, as, as far as in my own planning, like, you know, I, I'll put that, I'll post that later after I talk to a few more to, to see if, if there's something of substance here. And I think there is, and, but, but even in my own journey, I, I, there's certain doors um, that white um, men and white women have opened up for me that nobody else did. And it's, it, 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 it went against the notion, even some of that, some of which I was raised with, which is there, it's almost like, Hey, there's, there, there's, you know, almost we're like, Hey, they're the enemy mm-hmm. and, um, and they're not looking out for you. But I just have had too much experience at this point in my journey to see mm-hmm. I have found a few incredible mm-hmm. um, again white men and white white women who mm-hmm. have said, Wait, Derek, I, I believe in you enough and we're going to open up doors for uh, opportunities for you that nobody else will um, or nobody else has. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just I, I love that you, you, you capture it and in and, and, um, the idea of finding mentors. Yes, um, Latinx mentors and also um, white male mentors as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very happy you had that experience. And I've been speaking with others. Um, I think they also have had similar experiences. But uh, I also think that it's probably in the minority to have those kinds of good mm-hmm. relationships uh, with people that you don't identify with. I think it's, I think it's just very difficult. Um, but if you do happen to find somebody who takes you under the ring, wing, I, I think it doesn't matter what, who they are, what color they are. You just go because yes. they, just, they know so much more than you. And if they're willing to help you out, you just, you go for it. Mm-hmm. Power, power principles right here. Action packed. Well, very good. Well, look, uh, I want to respect your time. I, I want to give you a, an invitation to come back to the podcast. And I, but I want to give you one last question for us to, sure. to, uh, to close. Sure. Um, the last question I have for you is what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? Oh, and it's funny. I love how you're saying like, we could just keep talking for <laughs> um, So, you know, it's, it's a very common theme that I have expressed throughout this interview. Um, I may not have the best, and this is just being completely uh, transparent. I may not have the best relationship with all of my family members. And that is because I have made decisions to really um, set my boundaries because I knew they would be better for my future, you know, for me right now and, and for my future. Um, but it's those same qualities that my family members have that instilled in me um, that really are, um, again, my favorite qualities of these favorite people. I, I, I always remember this, um, this something that my uncle had said at, in my, at my quinceanera. Um, he had basically said, and I'll say it in English, but he had said, um, you come from, you have Argentine and Mexican blood in your veins. 
And because of that, you are triumphant and you will never give up. Mm. And um, so that is just something that I have carried with me through, through, you know, today and, and will always because, um, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, first to even graduate high school, mm-hmm. um, my dad, my dad went to medical school in Mexico, but he dropped out because my grandmother had moved to the States uh, for a better life. And she was a dishwasher and a maid and she couldn't afford it anymore. So he mm. left medical school to come to the U.S. to sell oranges on the side of the street. Wow. And so you know, there, I just, from, from a kid, as a child, I just, my, my dad had always said, you know, I, I'm a frustrated college student. I'm, I'm a frustrated student because I just never was able to finish anything, but mm-hmm. you being able to do these things, it's like I succeeded. Yes. So just carrying all of those in a way burdens, um, and, and pressures for me to succeed and these expectations for me to succeed um, were have in fact become my favorite qualities because had they not, you know, given me so much pressure, mm-hmm. um, I, I may not be who I am today. Yes. Something that I continue to, to spread onto others and, and, and my community, uh, because we just need to continue to support ourselves and each other in this way so that we can all succeed. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful concept of elevated expectations have led to your greatness. And, uh, and I think that's a cheers moment to your uncle and a cheers moment to your dad um, for having those um, expectations and even hearing about the sacrifice he made um, in the name of family. And then how that ultimately cultivate or ultimately led to, you know, you being able to, to be here, um, become an attorney, you know, in here in the U.S. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well, well Jessica, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you allowing me to share my story and, and I hope it, it resonated with at least one of your listeners. Um, and if so, then I, I invite them to reach out to you, reach out to me and, and however I can help them succeed as well is how they, their success is my success. Hey, I love that. I love it. I love it. Very good podcast listeners. Well, Um, Thank you for tuning in. You are the precious people in our world. We do this for you. Um, I do want to encourage you to go over to the Apple Podcast app. Give us the five-star review. Remember to subscribe, and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.